fire is burning. Fire will never be extinguished. <laughs> ready the mind, ready the body, ready the spirit. Welcome to episode 22 of the Unwise Index. I am Akshay, joined as always by Monik. What's up, man? Not much, much. Feeling good today, man. Feeling excellent. You are. Feeling, feeling real good. Aligned. I'm feeling yeah, aligned, alive. Uh, drinking a little bit of Fireball. I brought back the old goodness. That's a potent beverage to bring forth into the world, or bring forth into your life. Cinnamon whiskey. Uh, you know, we're trying to get them to sponsor us, but haven't had been successful yet. We'll get there. One day. Close. Someday. We're getting close. Someday. Has it been a while since you've had Fireball? Is it is this a special occasion just because we're casting, or is it? have you been getting back into, into drinking it more? Well, the interesting thing is, this weekend, after a very long time, going back to my diet for the past couple of weeks, I started cooking. Started cooking up a storm. Uh, if you remember back in college, I was a vegan for a year. I went through a couple of phases. I do remember this. Went through an emo phase. No, I went through a vegan phase, went through a vegetarian phase. They were the same phase. Yeah, uh, and, yeah actually, no. Um, and I learned how to cook. Uh, well, I actually learned how to cook like three dishes when I was a vegan. I learned to cook some chana masala, some like tofu. That curry. was good. I will give you props for that. That was really, you know, when you, your chana masala was very good. I, I, because I like optimized the hell out of that. I, I treat it as like a competition. I'm like, I'm going to make the best chana masala that ever existed, dude. I'm going to like fine tune the spice and ingredients. Uh, and, and something came over me. Uh, you know, my mom was visiting last weekend and I was hanging out with her when we were cooking together. I'm like, you know what? I actually enjoy cooking. It's healthier. If I want to go all in on this paleo diet thing, it might make sense for me to start cooking as well and eat, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. So uh, this weekend, I cooked some a chicken curry, uh, a little bit of chicken biryani. Nice. And when I opened the fridge to gather the ingredients, I noticed there was this lone bottle of Fireball on the side. I'm like, yo, this Fireball can't be alone. I got to take this thing out. I got to pour a little liquor out. Uh, and that's what I'm doing. That's a sign, dude. That's a sign from the universe. I know. It's like, it, it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's like reconnecting with my old, younger self, right? Cooking again, drinking Fireball again. It feels good. Have you put Fireball inside of any of the Indian cuisine? You know what? That's, dude, that's that next level thinking, man. That's that next level thinking. You're welcome. Again. That actually might work, dude. Instead of using a little olive oil, a little Fireball, spice it up a bit, pour it in the biryani. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. When people say there's like bourbon and stuff inside of food, I, I usually can't taste it, but I always appreciate the fact that somebody put in that reduction or whatever it was yeah. into the food. You know? It actually might make sense with Indian food because you usually use like some, some small amount of cinnamon with the turmeric and the garlic powder and the cumin seeds. So, you know, cinnamon whiskey might actually be a beautiful, beautiful dish. So eating healthier then? Well, I mean, somewhat. I mean, like I, I cook chicken biryani, right? I put... Put yeah, a lot, that's put a lot of butter, put a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in there. But I think I think what makes me more excited about it is you know you cook something with your own hands, you eat it, it feels good. You can portion control more effectively. You can save things for later, and it's a lot cheaper. Uh, it, it makes the eating experience far more enjoyable. I've come to realize. And the great thing about it is, uh, like on my weekday commute, I'm usually listening to a podcast or an audiobook or something on the subway, and I don't have that on the weekends because I'm not. I'm not usually on the subway, so I, I just, I mean, I could just listen to a podcast while cooking. And that's a recommendation for all the listeners, you know, if you want to have the, the best podcast to listen to while you're cooking, the Unwise Index is it. This is very true. Um, I think I would enjoy cooking if I just bothered to, like like you've done, give it the old college try. Because um, yeah. I, I do enjoy, like, sort of those meditative kind of single focus activities, right, like right. 
cleaning, laundry, like while listening to a podcast. It's just like, it's a nice thing to do. And, you know, it sounds like the payoff from cooking would be a lot nicer than say the payoff from doing laundry, even though it is nice to have fresh laundry. Yeah, dude. It's like you get food, you got food for multiple days. Yeah. And your apartment smells like that chicken. Oh man. It smells like that chicken curry. Like what more do you want? I don't need to burn no incense anymore. That is true. You have the natural incense of chicken curry. <laughs> Amazing. What about you? What you been um, eating this week? Not eating, not my best week when it comes to eating healthy. Um, so uh, earlier in the week, I went to Wingstop. Okay. Uh, and that was a great outing. I went with a friend, a uh, friend of the podcast, Dan, who hopefully listens to this cast as well. Uh, we went to Wingstop, ordered a bunch of wings. They did this amazing thing, which I had two reactions to when they did it. Uh, but I think was overall, uh, I appreciate, is they accidentally doubled my order. Um, I asked for like, you know, a certain number of, of wings, uh, half lemon pepper, half traditional buffalo. Um, and they just, and, and I paid for, for that as such. And they literally just doubled it. They gave me a whole order of each with an extra set of, of uh, Cajun fries. Um, and so kudos to Dan for helping me avoid eating all of that myself. Did you ask them why they did that? What happened? Was it a mistake? No, but, but when we sat down, the, the folks next to us, like a family next to us was like, I think the same thing happened to us. And so I think it might've just been a weird, like there might've been some bug in the, in their like, in their register or in their like, di- how they were dialing things up. So that's a bug in the matrix I can get behind, dude. Extra wings. Totally. Double, double chicken? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Speaking of Wingstop though, I, I watched this goofy YouTube video. I heard this series called Worth It. No. It's a beautiful meditation on... The economic value of goods. <laughs> no, basically what it is is these two dudes right. who go try different foods at different price points. And they answer this incredibly difficult question of, is it worth it? Is a $2 Ooh. wing worth it compared to a $1,000 uh, wing? Uh, so they have one episode on wings and they have Wingstop as one of the wings. And it's in like the lower to mid category of price of wing compared to like wings that are like 10 times more expensive. And they decided the wing that is most worth it is the wing from Wingstop. I will say those are those are good boneless wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Wingstop, if you'd like to sponsor the cast, get in touch because um, I would I would use those coupon codes, whatever you give us. Um, I would actually use them myself. So yeah, Wingstop was there early in the week. That was how I uh, celebrated Labor Day. Um, and then uh, the the like the later in the week, I went to Wendy's. Hot damn, dude! Fast food craze this week. I really go to Wendy's when I go to Wendy's, man. I'm talking spicy chicken sandwich. I'm talking side of nuggets. I'm talking frosty. Um, it's the whole thing. And so, again, I think as we discussed in the prior cast, I've, I've sort of one of the things that I've been able to do this year that I'm that I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to do is is work out most days in the morning. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I think has to change for me to get to the next level of fitness at this point is the diet, because at some point. You can work out as much as you want, but if you're hitting up Wingstop and Wendy's <laughs> and other things, uh, you're kind of running in place a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it was that egregious the past week apart from those two things, but em- emblematic of the change that I have left, I think, in my diet. But the thing on the wing on the wing side, uh, what's your wing to sauce ratio? Because that's going to impact the calories yeah. you take in. Because if you're just doing like some low-fat ranch or just a little bit of ketchup, or something like that's fine, but you go with blue cheese and you lather with blue cheese, then you're, you got lost in the sauce. You never want to get lost in the sauce. I'm actually very against blue cheese or ranch on wings. What? Um, in fact, um, I just I just think it looks disgusting. Um, All right, dude, we can, uh, I have we can a, go, I have go a, ahead and stop this cast right now. 
Yeah. All right. well, you know, you know, I, I've lost friends over this in the past, and I'm willing to going forward as well because I, oh I, I'm ironclad, man. You just have buffalo sauce, and if you, you know, I'm a fan of having it lathered to a reasonable degree, and then having extra sauce on the sides, so you can selectively choose to bring in more sauce into the into the equation as you as you would like to. Uh, but in my mind, it's these are these are sauces you would you would actually uh, cook the chicken with, not not obscenities uh, to the natural world like hmm. blue cheese and ranch. Jesus. That's so weird, man. You heard me. That's so weird, dude. First we got Red Bull on ice, then we got wings with no sauce. Oh, you, do you hear the Red Bull on ice? It's here. It's back. It's back. Oh, no. By popular demand. I don't even know how to deal with that. I can't eat wings with no sauce, dude. There's sauce on the wings. What are you talking about, man? There's, what, what do you call the buffalo sauce? Yeah, buffalo sauce? It's like not the same, man. I need like the... the the, the different t- taste on my palate to enjoy it the most, right? I, li- I want like half and half. Like I want to dip like half the wing in a sauce and then leave the, mess, the rest of the half of the wing like all natural. And I guess best of both worlds, right? I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree <laughs> yeah. on this one, man. This, this oh is some God. Sunni Shia stuff right yeah, here, dude. dude but this, is, we'll, this, this will take way too much time to unpack. We don't got time for this. Yeah. So speaking of divisiveness, <laughs> um, let's get into it. Yeah. So this week... Um, we're going to go through a few different topics, not rapid fire, but rapider fire, maybe. Um, and the first one is about uh, divisiveness, uh, hashtag divisiveness in the media. Um, this is about Steve Bannon getting invited and then uninvited from the New Yorker's annual festival. Yeah. Um, so what happened here is David Remnick, who's an awesome journalist, um, been around forever, uh, editor-in-chief of The New Yorker, um, no friend of the Trump administration, yeah. Um, I think wrote probably the most, like, kind of like the most, um, I think, evocative piece the night of the election, like called uh, An American Tragedy um, about oh. Donald Trump and about what was to come. And I th- encourage everybody to go, regardless of your political views, go and read that piece because I think it's just an, an awesome piece of writing, um, if nothing else, by David Remnick. Um, but he invited Steve Bannon um, to the New Yorker's annual festival uh, basically just to talk uh, about his worldview and, and just to be able to kind of examine what it is he still stands for right. because since the election Steve Bannon has been tossed from the White House kind of on the fringe um, has been kind of you know I think the joke is he's kind of like the Trotsky of economic nationalism he's kind of just going around to different countries and trying to stir up the same you know kind of sentiments in in Italy in Greece in other places yeah um, and he was interviewed earlier this year by the Financial Times editor Lionel Barber um, he's been interviewed by Fareed Zakaria several times. Hmm. And so it's like, okay, invite this dude. And like, you know, he's economic nationalism and nationalism generally is a, you know, a motive force in the world yeah. nowadays. Yeah. So let's, let's hear him out. Let's, let's talk with him. And the backlash from both um, friends of the New Yorker, I would say, in the media world, uh, prominent personalities, um, and the New Yorker's own staff was, was pretty loud. Yeah. And that led to basically a day of kind of chaos and outrage on Twitter um, and other social media sites. Um, and then led Remnick to rescind the invitation to Bannon, I think, the next day. Yeah. Um, with a pretty, like, you know, and he released this statement where he kind of, like, put forth the reason why he wanted to do this and kind of at the very last paragraph said, but, you know, I understand the festival is maybe slightly <laughs> different than an in-depth piece, uh, so, you know, maybe we don't have to give him a stage, but I still want him to, to interview him and to, to, or like to have insight into what he's thinking in the future. Yeah. Um, it did not seem like he was happy about this, though. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I have a pretty, I think, clear cut reaction to this. But 
What do you think, Monik? What do you think? Well, I mean, for first, I mean, for the listeners, I think it's important to set the context and stage of who Bannon is, right? Uh, we got Bannon, a.k.a. co-founder of Breitbart, uh, one of the, the solidified news sources for the quote-unquote alt-right, uh, a.k.a. chief strategist of Trump, probably a big reason why Trump's in office, uh, a.k.a. Sith Lord, right? <laughs> if you look at the guy, he kind of looks like a Sith Lord. Um, I'm actually very conflicted on this topic because um, I think the nuance here is your last point that uh, there's this choice of do we give him a large stage, do we interview him and, and, and reveal that footage down the road, or what's appropriate. And you know, I think the, the, the general uh, pro for keeping him uh, and allowing him to stay, I think it's the, the argument around, uh, you know, hey, how do you unmask people? Uh, how, do you, how does progress get made? It comes from actually having opposing views, discussing and debating with them. Uh, and relying on facts and argumentation to bring down those views or change those views or have views um, improve over time. Um, and, and generally, uh, kind of the classical classical liberal part of my mind agrees with that pretty strongly. Uh, it's like, how do you neuter this person's views? Well, you debate them and unmask them on stage. And the best way of uh, you know preventing folks from adopting a view is by embarrassing the viewpoint uh, through actual logic and debate, which I really love. But on the other end, um, the, the the rationale for not doing this, um, I think it's important to understand who Bannon is, and you know we we know that this dude uh, could be construed as a liar on multiple counts. We know that this guy has pretty virulent views, and even though he positions himself as an economic na- nationalist, uh, and of course has been a you know a huge part of Breitbart, I think it's it's foolish to say that. You know, the end result of economic nationalism, the end result of a lot of the views espoused on Breitbart are pretty closely in line with a populist strain that is tied to white nationalism, which I think the end goal of which uh, is a white ethno state and there, there are a variety of racist and anti-Semitic undertones, which I think are very scary and are, can be quite alluring on initial take by most folks as it really appeals to the id of the human mind. And I don't know how quickly you can deep, you, you can neuter those views in a public setting. Um, and it, it, they're scary ideas. They're sometimes they're very scary ideas. And a lot of people are not going to spend the time to understand a debate and understand the arguments against it if the initial reaction plays to their fears and anger. There's this great quote that I think um, that, that Steve Bannon made uh, around uh, anger and fear as a way to rile people up. He said, you know, we got elected on drain the swamp, lock her up, build a wall. Anger and fear is what gets people to the polls. The Democrats don't matter. The real opposition is the media. And the way to deal with them is to flood the zone with shit. <laughs> and it's like, it gives you a good sense on what he's trying to do. He's trying to just inundate the public discourse and ruin the public square of debate uh, where those views can just stick in someone's mind and can't be changed. And in, in that line of thinking, I think giving him a platform might be end result bad. It's, it's, uh, it's a choice that these publications have to make. And why would they choose to somewhat legitimize uh, this individual or mainstream of view when really these views should not be mainstream in the slightest and should remain on the fringe as he has been in a bit. And as you mentioned, he's like gone to Europe and started the quote unquote, the movement um, yeah. to, to kind of build a global populist movement. So I think that's one large argument of why not. Um, the other argument that for me that resonates a bit is I, I kind of like the same idea where these are virulent views and you can't argue with the rationality. There's no concept of unmasking. 
uh, is there is a lot of unintended harm for folks that I don't think people realize. I think th the folks who really gravitate towards, um, you know, all ideas should have a place uh, to discuss and, you know, let the free marketplace of ideas win, don't factor in the unintended harm of certain ideas that are, that are even uttered, right? And, and I think they have local and political impact. You know, if we think about Steve Bannon specifically, we think about the travel ban. He, you know, authored the travel ban, primarily, uh, primarily done by his views on immigration and, you know, general views of this concept of, uh, as he calls it, you know, ethnic genocide and white genocide, which we can talk about the, the relevancy and the, the factual basis of that concept. Um, and that has real consequences. And I think it's easy to say, just let him speak uh, and versus really contemplating the idea that are these views that we really need to give a platform for? And let's be smarter about what we're bringing to the table uh, because these have real unintended harm to folks that might be in a, in a position that is not as privileged or unrepresented than where me and you sit, sit and stand. Um, yeah. So, that, I mean, those are the two ways. And I, I have to say, I, I just don't know what's the long-term play. And the other thing factoring in my mind is, you know, deplatforming seems to have worked <laughs> for Milo and Alex Jones, RIP, dude. I can't find any Alex Jones memes anymore. I don't know what I'm doing in my life. I, I, I would contend we don't know what the effects of deplatforming really are for personalities like that. Like you said, it's kind of the, you could argue that some of them were the id representation of the psyche. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't think you can just sort of flatten the id and then assume it won't spike up in other areas or find other outlets, sure. right? Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, so to your point around giving him a platform, I get that. And I, and I think if they were just giving him a stage in which to give a 30-year, 60-minute, you know, kind of overture about his worldview yeah. uh, in front of everybody, I think that would be one thing. But when you have somebody who is, you know, you know among the veterans of the international reporting and, and media world, David Remnick, uh, actually able to, to contend with him in an interview style sure. structure, I think that's, that's pretty different, right? And I think um, I, I would have been interested to see the, the dialogue, right, between the two of them. Yeah. Um, because I do agree with you. I think there's a lot about his views that on the surface are quite quite repulsive, I think, to people who hold even uh, moderate viewpoints, and not, let alone liberal viewpoints. Um, and I think what, I, what, I, what I've seen in prior interviews with him, you know, between him and Lionel Barber, him and Fareed Zakaria, was he did have to explain things, right? It's like, okay, you say China's the, you know, the, the extreme global threat. Explain right. that. Right. Like, what exactly do you mean by they've already been in economic war with us? Yeah. Or, okay, let's play out your version of economic nationalism two or three moves in advance and see what actually comes up. And, like, you actually start to see him, I think, yeah, he, he does have convictions, uh, and, and, ex and explanations yeah. that he can describe on certain fronts. But you also see that he's kind of running out of gas, I think, with regard to other explanations. Sure. Um, and he does, and you kind of get to see, you know, an incisive mind, an incisive interviewer actually say, I'm not trying just to play gotcha journalism. I'm trying to give you oxygen to see if there's actually anything that will burn. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, beyond the tropes and behind, you know, I think there, there's an argument here where it's like, yeah, he is sort of the, the chief strategist. He is this sort of, you know, political racketeer kind of guy. Yeah. Um, he knows how to go and, and, and rile up crowds and, and get people to turn out. But um, he's also been allowed to be, I think, he's, he's allowed this vision of him to be put forth as sort of this strategist and this sort of guy who understands how to propel this movement. Yeah. Like he has, like, there's actual, like, intellectual reserves there in which he can call. Um, and I and I, I think I'm honestly kind of, I, I think he, there, there's, there's parts of what he says or parts of, 
um, the plight of working class folks that I think he, he puts very astutely and I think are worth calling out and worth probably decoupling from the rest of his message. Yeah. But I also think that he has not actually been under the intellectual scrutiny required of him. Um, yeah. given the image of him that's been allowed to promulgate, right? Yeah. And so I actually think it would net, net I, I want to see him under more scrutiny. It's like, from what I've seen so far, like um, it, 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 it requires him to to exit sort of this this realm of like, you know, when you say Sith Lord, it's like there, there's good and bad to that, right? It's like there's uh, the fact that, you know, he's perceived as a sort of, you know, evil or, or characterized evil person, but it also implies some sense of power and purpose, yeah. right? And it's like, I just, I want, I want to see if that holds up to the light of day, right? Yeah, I mean, but there's an inherent risk there. That, that the risk is, will uh, David Remnick, uh, will he have the intellectual fortitude, the arguments on hand, the facts and data on hand to pigeonhole him in a, in a view where he realized there isn't much ba- foundational facts backing what he's saying? Well, who do you want to realize that? Do you want Bannon to realize that or do you want people who... I think it's I think it's 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 the sort of the cadence of the dialogue and like Bannon might not walk away a changed man. I don't expect he would, sure. but I think it's seeing like you know when you keep pushing him on points, does he have answers? Does he can, can he go layers deeper on his analysis, yeah. or does he just kind of tap out at sort of this this trope level? Yeah. Right. Well, what I'm I guess my my point is around uh, that trope ideological level is hard to argue with. Uh, you know, like it's like this gradient of the ideology and the dogmatism and belief. So, like, would we? I mean, this is a this is a, a, a stretch, for example. But would we invite, uh, you know, a, a, a specific, um, you know, thought leader from ISIS to the stage, uh, where he had, where this individual will have incredibly virulent views? And you know, should we even try to debate this person and try to prove the error in their ways, where logic is just not going to stick and it's not going to, and 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 the the, the risk is those views might be shared by other folks and reinforce this very base level of understanding of anger and fear, and it's hard to argue against. Um, I can see what you're saying. Um, I think, you know, in the case of like an ISIS representative, you are elevating them and legitimizing them in a way that I think, I think it's a little juvenile. Um, I'm not saying you're saying this, but I think generally to think that Bannon hasn't already been elevated that way. It's like he was a White House staffer. He was the chief strategist. Like to claim that because he doesn't share a stage with somebody, he somehow doesn't have legitimacy is... I think it, the genie's already out of the bottom. Yeah. Well, right? you could say that his legitimacy has dwindled over the year and that he's now kind of forced into re- irrelevance and he doesn't have any real clout on the European political stage and he's trying to build that and who knows if he's able to over time. So interesting point on that yeah. is The Economist has an equivalent festival mm. going on in the month after and um, The Economist editor-in-chief released a note where she said Bannon will be allowed to speak. Hmm. Um, and I am going to interview him. Interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, it's worth pointing out that the UK, unlike the US, does have very strict um, hate speech laws um, and actually doesn't have the same sort of universal freedom of speech allowances that we do. Yeah. Um, but she says, hey, you know, he he was an instrumental part in yeah. Donald Trump becoming the president of the United States. Yeah. Um, he like the, the forces he is talking about are playing a wider role here in Europe. Yeah. Um, it is worth interrogating his worldview yeah. and worth understanding what he thinks the outcome of this strategy is, yeah. Um, and also, we have to understand what where the you know where a, a growing block of, of people's minds are are situated, yeah. And like sort of what they're thinking. Um, and um, I think it's interesting, and I wonder if it's reflective of like some wisdom on part of the Brits, where yeah. it's like you can't sort of closet these things. You have to get yeah. them. You have to discuss them, and you have to, you know, kind of poke holes in them publicly if you can or or, or, or if you can. You can't be like, um, uh, 
you just can't make thoughts go away by not looking at him. It's like Voldemort, dude. Hugh must not be named, but when they started naming him, <laughs> they could defeat him, right? Like, and I guess that, that's the line of argument, right? But I think right. you know, not to dismiss what you said earlier, which is there might you know you might be further legitimizing and propelling somebody by doing this too. So it is it is a unclear weighing of things. Yeah, and it, I mean, for the Economist, um, do you know if part and parcel, it's very similar to what the invitation looked like for um, the New Yorker? My understanding is that I think that the the, the, um, the framing of the festival is a little bit different. It's kind of more focused on like the, the future of, of geopolitics and okay. things like that. But it's like, I think it's still the equivalent kind of head honcho right. um, interviewing him okay. as sort of, of in, in a, in a yep, yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. I just, I mean, the, the main thing I just want is I want to make sure that this guy is well prepared to really dismantle his views. Because that's, I think that's what ideally I want this this interviewer, to, well, it's not going to happen now, but maybe The Economist, um, this interview and debate to, to be is, a, you know, a, a real dismantling and embarrassment of viewpoint. Because I think that's what's needed right now. And I think uh, there hasn't really been, I, I, I tend to agree with you that there really hasn't been intellectual scrutiny on a lot of these views in a way that has kind of entered the public zeitgeist. Um, and it's needed, and I think it's desperately needed because I think these views are growing day by day. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the fact that you know the economy is on the surface doing well now, yeah. um, and the fact that I think you know the media, uh, the, the 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 sort of media landscape and the way in which people consume is increasingly polarized. It's like, you know, you would you know somebody might actually somebody would only be watching or reading Breitbart and watching associated videos. And yep. to see those views actually scrutinized, I think about the person who might have been in a bubble of their own yep. on the right side of the spectrum, yep. actually seeing his views come in contact with somebody like David Remnick's or, or The Economist's. Um, I think that would actually, that that seems like a worthwhile point of contact. And if it's civil, yep. um, but it, but it's actually, you know, it's, it's robust. Um, I think like that, you know, you need to be able, that, that's a lot of why, you know, we're going to talk about the intellectual yep. dark web in one of these upcoming casts. Um, and it's like, I think that's sort of the unifying frame of what people are looking for, yep. um, who are kind of tired of the current polarity, which is, you know, can we just have a conversation? Like, yep. even if we don't agree, um, can we all just agree that like, it's okay. And like, it's gotten to the point now where people applaud those who can just have conversations. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but the other it's interesting like, thing I don't think we're analyzing, and I don't think it has impact on the decision here, but it's, the audience of the New Yorker um, is, I mean, you know, a, a highly progressive liberal audience, from my understanding. It is. I, I you know, and they give yeah. you a tote bag as well, which is really nice. I mean, and, I uh, love tote bags, dude. Come on, love tote bags. <laughs> and I, I guess my question is, is like, if our goal is we need to unmask these uh, these ideas and this ideology and dismantle them through real logic and and debate and facts, that whole argument is never going to reach the minds of folks who have already been swindled and enamored by a lot of the viewpoints that are shared by Bannon. You don't see right-wing publications inviting you know, incredibly progressive people on their on their media platforms to have a healthy debate. It's, it's really a problem of the left. And I don't know what to do with that. Um, it's, I think it's just because, I mean, it's partly true that the media is really controlled by, left, by the left right now. Um, but that's a concern to me. It's like, you know, are we just like, uh, still in an echo chamber where, yeah, great, we're having a debate, totally. we're raising the raising the level of consciousness, we're built willing to confront extreme and opposing views, but guess what? The end result is it did not change anyone's mind and the minds that need to be changed. Uh, so how do we distribute that thought in an effective way? And I, I just don't know how that's going to happen. 
I, I think this is a much more credible way to do it than I think what I think what the New York Times and others have experimented with, which is you have like one conservative columnist right. or like <laughs> right. opinion yeah. writer who's That's just fair. like buried yeah. somewhere yeah. in the pages. Yeah. It's like, you know, use use your platform, use your institutional stature yeah. and have marquee events and um you know, use that as a use that as the way of showing that you're open to actually, you know, interacting with these views, not just writing opinion pieces about them. You yeah. know, I do I do share um, you know David Remnick's decision. Um, you know, one thing that always comes to mind it's kind of with all these discussions, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, if if you do it, you might risk mainstreaming, legitimizing a view, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we discuss. If you don't, you just fuel this narrative that, quote unquote. Um, you know, the liberal elite is, is is squelching any conservative viewpoints that can be, you know, built in this hodgepodge gumbo soup of Trumpism. Um, so you're kind of screwed either way, <laughs> which kind of sucks, it's true. right? <laughs> and of course, with the you know with the exemplar uh, prose writing he has, I, I think it's it's a it's a reference point for us all to be able to write something like that and be like, well, I'm still right, but I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and it's right. like, yeah, I'm, exactly. <laughs> it's like. I'm right, but I guess we're not going to do this. Yeah. But I'm still right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he did that, but it was it was like basically that was the gist of it, and I thought that read very well, and I was very impressed. Yeah. I was like, ah, he's still he's still he's still basically saying, hey, we should probably do this at some point. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we'll see where Steve Bannon pops up. The dude's still roaming around, um, and when, you know maybe maybe he'll come on the index at some point. We'll see. Dude, he's he's currently in Europe trying to find his net, next Sith apprentice. That's what he's looking for. I think he's look. He's in Hungary right now, trying to find his Darth Maul. <laughs> the next. <laughs> Little does he the, know that the, all Sith apprentices kill the Sith master, right? And none of them are probably in Hungary. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of the story of Dark Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> is the title of this episode the Hungarian Darth Maul? Oh my god, dude! <laughs> uh, I forget the dude's name, uh, but yeah, he's in Hungary trying to trying to uh, basically train someone up. Well, as long as he has that two-sided lightsaber, it's all good. Yeah. All right. So, we'll, we'll put we'll put a what you know we'll we'll move on from Steve Bannon for the time being. Um, but I have a feeling he'll be back yeah. soon um, in the conversation. Uh, next item um, in the in the smorgasbord of news uh, of recent of of late uh, is Jack Dorsey. Uh, and this is sort of, it was unclear to me what happened uh, exactly. So Jack Dorsey was in Washington, D.C., mm. testifying before Congress. Suddenly I see a bunch of memes with Alex Jones there as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's sort of unclear what was happening. Um, I'm like, were, you know, were they just were they having some sort of showdown yeah. on, this, on the steps of the Capitol? Where, uh, so, so what had actually happened was Jack Dorsey was invited along with Sheryl Sandberg to talk about social media content monitoring. Um, and this was uh, set, you know, so the, so the Republicans, of course, couldn't control the committees now, um, so they can kind of choose to to bring people before committees. Sure. Um, and this was the House Energy and Commerce Committee, um, and they were basically, and this is this is where we're at right now. Is a bunch of these old school Republicans in this committee wanted to bring Jack Dorsey up to testify on whether or not there was shadow banning of conservatives happening on Twitter. Right. And they used the term, the amount of times the term shadow banning and algorithms appeared in this, in this, uh, in this hearing was, was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was really interesting to see kind of the dichotomy between every conservative representative that had the chance to question him was basically like, so you're, why are you shadow banning conservatives? Or why are you, even if you're not meaning to, silencing conservative voices? And every, every, Democratic uh, representative there was basically saying, you know, in in varying degrees of snarkiness, like 
this is clearly a political parade by the Republicans to bring you here, Mr. Dorsey. Like, you know, like, hey, we do have some concerns about impartiality and how you can make sure that you're keeping like folks like the Russians and the Iranians from using bots. They use the term bots a lot as well um, off of Twitter. Um, But uh, it was like there were two conversations happening, one between the Republicans who had this uh, politically motivated kind of response to what they thought was happening to them. And then Democrats, mostly around the Russia stuff. It was really interesting to see Jack Dorsey. I think he did a good job, kind of flip between kind of two lines of questioning throughout the entire thing. I mean, that's what I, that's what I like about Jack Dorsey. I mean, I think it's it's part of also his upbringing because he lived in a household where Midwest, yeah, Midwest household. Uh, I think you know multiple viewpoints, and even in his own home, I think I, I read a tweet once where he was like his his mom was a staunch liberal and his dad was a staunch conservative. And yeah, he referenced that in the hearing. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think it's it kind of informed his view on how he wants to cultivate. Twitter uh, as this kind of public square where multiple viewpoints can be shared. And even though I think he positions himself as a deeply progressive individual, he wants to make sure that they're, they're still adhering to that. He, he himself and, and Twitter as a kind of embodiment of his worldview is still adhering to that idea, uh, which I think is pretty admirable. Um, I think so, too. I think he gets a lot of shit. Um, and I think, you know, Twitter is always, I think, lagging behind when it comes to just by the nature of how it works. Now people tend to use it. Yeah. Um, people are always finding new ways to harass people, always finding new ways to post, you know, illicit content. Governments are finding ways to do things. It's a hard job to, you know, take a thing that started off with like, hey, LOL, I ordered some pizza like 10, 15 years ago yeah. and is now this like, like you said, global public square. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think like I, I give the guy credit, a lot of credit for for trying and he basically said repeatedly like impartiality is our guiding principle yeah meant to be a global public square we cannot be driven by the creator like it cannot be driven by the opinion of its makers um it's always going to default to open and free exchange like and like you know the red lines are like attempts to silence others or infringements on human rights um and i get that there's like hard ways to define those things at times um but but i think um it seems like he's doing everything he can uh to yeah to, to keep it as neutral as possible. And yeah. I do appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, well, it was two points. One, I remember my first tweet was about a new Starbucks coconut mocha. Do you know what your first tweet was? Uh, I think it was like, yo, I'm tweeting, LOL. <laughs> it's amazing. It was 2008, man. It was yeah, a different it was, time. It was a very different time. I couldn't understand what Twitter was at that time. Um, I guess my only concern long-term in this, this concept of how do you make the content, uh, you know, adhere to any policy that Twitter's put out is just like you have this inundation of content and you can throw as many algorithms, machine learning, big data on it as you want. Uh, but content's being produced at such a rapid rate that you will always have false positives and false negatives. Um, and I think it's just a mess. I have no idea what the end result is. Yeah. Um, what, what, a couple great points. I agree with you. Couple, a couple of nice points from the, uh, from the hearing. Um, there's this guy, Joe Barton, and I, I don't, I think he has done some, something goofy in public before. This kind of like, you know, older, chubby GOP congressman. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, he, the first thing he says when he gets on the mic is you know, it's just Jack Dorsey sitting there. He has a beard, like kind of like a, a little bit of a, like an unkept beard. Yeah. Um, and he also has a nose ring, right? And he has yeah. this kind of like interesting collared shirt thing going on. Um, it's like from a distance, he looks pretty well put, to, like decently well put together. But when you like zoom in on him, you're like, oh, there's some stuff going on with his image, yeah. um, which is interesting. And so Joe Barton's like, let me just say, you don't look like a CEO to me. Uh, <laughs> 
and and he's like he's being good natured about it, right? Yeah, this yeah. is I think an indication of of Dorsey's temperament, yeah. whereas like you can imagine like someone freezing up or like having an awkward pause. He just smiles and he says, "My mom would agree with you." Yeah, um, <laughs> and just kind of like it goes on. But that was it was just that was. Well, that have was you great. seen any pictures of early Dorsey? Dude was a straight punk. Yeah, exactly. I think he's bringing it back. And there was a there was a time when he kind of went into like the more like kind of chic startup look, yeah. like more traditional, clean shaven, you know, almost like a like not even like a startup, like a New York kind of look. Yeah. Um, like you know, kind of like you know Wall Street look, and then he kind of curved back to the punk yeah. a little bit. Fashion forward. Um, dude. Yeah, dude, he's 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 trend setting. Yeah. <laughs> um, Another thing that was kind of interesting is I think like a lot of these hearings get a bad rep. So there was that, again, that kind of bifurcation that I was talking about where uh, the the Republicans were kind of having this more like, are you censoring us, shadow banning? And then the Democrats were more concerned with bots and Russia. But I was actually quite impressed with um, the specificity of their questions Hmm. um, and like the fact that they were they were were pretty like uh, even even the Republicans who I think had, had kind of had this angle of attack yeah. um, were actually quite quite amenable to his responses and quite respectful. Um, again, you know, everybody out there, shout out to C-SPAN. If you, if you want to go just hang out, watch a two-hour hearing in the background on C-SPAN, you'll learn some random stuff. You'll see some funny stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it will actually net improve your faith in Congress a little bit because they're just you just assume it's such a shit show. Yeah. Um, but it's actually more functional than you think. Um, like Steve Scalise, who's like one of the Republican, he was a Republican congressman who was shot by, I think, one of those radical liberal protesters when he was playing basketball, like in D.C., oh, like wow. earlier in the summer, um, and was like back and like was like, th- that was last year, sorry, um, has come back and is, is sort of like this Republican kind of like, you know, like poster child for like, you know, for that reason, and also because he's like very traditionally conservative from Louisiana. Um, but he's also a computer science major. And he was cool. like, hey, I've written algorithms before. And I understand how they work to a degree. Yeah. And I, I, what I'm, what I'm asking is like, there could still be implicit bias. And they actually went like kind of deep on that. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of interesting to see. It's like you would not have assumed that Steve Scalise, like, knew about algorithms. Right. Right. Um, but to see that was cool. That's heartwarming um, to hear. I need, to, I need to watch the entire thing. But I think, I mean, the, the thing is that this was really overshadowed by Alex Jones's cameo, right? It was. So I was unclear at first as to why Alex Jones was there. I'm like, was he in the audience? Was he somewhere else? It turns out, so he was, he just said, he found out this was happening and he was not invited. And he's like, you know, he's like that guy. And, you know, maybe we've all been that guy at one point in our life where it's like, I'm going to show up to the party, even though I wasn't explicitly invited. Um, Hopefully nobody notices. Well, in this case, people definitely noticed. Um, And he, he showed up because he said, Hey, they keep having testimony about me, yeah. or like I'm a central piece. Infoports is a central piece of this testimony, and I'm not invited. Um, and he's like, and I think there's like a there's a reasonable point there. Uh, of course, the way that he went about the kernel of reason was completely unreasonable. Yeah, where he was just like just harassing. I think he was like, there's like that great photo of him trying to get to Jack Dorsey as Jack Dorsey is leaving. Uh, <laughs> it looks like a Renaissance painting. Someone said, oh, I'll try to find that, and put it in the show notes. Um, he gets really aggressive with Marco Rubio. Well, Marco Rubio gets aggressive back dude he did you see that video little marco man he's like you know what i'm gonna take care of you myself i'm like come on marco (laughs) it was pretty hilarious i do appreciate that after getting thoroughly demasculated by emasculated by donald trump in the 2016 election marco rubio still thinks he has a little bit of game i know right um it's like dude just just go about your business my man do not try to play the tough guy card yeah yeah little marco and then i apologize on behalf of all the listeners, uh, that I ended up getting Alex Jones banned. Uh, it was me. yes. So uh, if you Google this video or if you saw any of the coverage, 
they claim that he was getting up in the face of someone named Oliver Darcy. But if you watch this video, dear listeners of the Unwise Index, you will see exactly who it is in that video. And it is no other than Monica in that video. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean, like, I watched the entire video. It, 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 there is a weird resemblance. Beard, <laughs> glasses, balding, like, a little chubby. Like, it's like, it was very odd. But I, I, I would like to think that if I was placed in his shoes, I would have responded differently to Alex. Uh, what would you have done? What did he do? What would you? What, would he, what did he do? What would you do? I mean, I think that he. Uh, well, one, he initially greeted him, and I think that was fine. Uh, it was kind of a, a, you know, slight glimmer of discontent. Uh, uh, but then he really didn't engage and was looking around, really shifty eyes. And Alex caught on to that. He's like, "Damn, you got devil eyes, son. <laughs> like these are the eyes of restricting free speech." I would have engaged in Alex Jones some way. I would have laughed it up with him. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think you know, laughter is the best. Uh, way to like enter in subvertive views if you get friendly with them and then you start attacking. Um, so I would have tried to do that, but uh, it was pretty, it did not, uh, Alex Jones does not uh, show well in that exchange. <laughs> he did, and apparently that. he was pretty pissed because um, Oliver Darcy, aka Monarch, uh was tr- trying to get him banned like several times by po- pointing out, I think rightfully, things that he had said to him on Twitter. Yeah. He's like, hey, like he's saying things that could be counted as harassment towards me. Yeah. Um, like and then I think Alex Jones, uh, of course, deleted those tweets and he's like, "What are you talking about?" Um, yeah. But uh, I think he, so Alex Jones, I think was was particularly worked up because here was the guy who had tried to get him banned, silenced in his mind beforehand, now standing before him. And it was a self fulfilling prophecy. Now it's off the app store. Now no one can get to Alex Jones at yeah, all. So what happened <laughs> after this was Twitter. If, if Alex Jones just stayed home that day, drank a Capri Sun, like you know, <laughs> chilled Sun. out. What the fuck, dude? I know. <laughs> Oh my God! Done anything? Literally done anything but show up and harass people at the, after the after the hearing. He would still be on Twitter and still be on the App Store. But this is the final straw. And I think it's because he he used Twitter to post these clips and might have used Periscope to stream them. Yeah. Um, that Twitter was like, okay, this is like actually like we cannot. There's no allowance for this anymore. You are banned or permanently suspended. Uh, and and same with the App Store. So he had been banned from iTunes and the podcast uh, section and all that stuff before. But now and people were actually using his app right. to listen to his to Infowars. Um, I think I think in large part. And so now that's gone as well. Or at least, well, it. it well, you wonder what's going to happen, right, man? Because it's like. Only the people who have downloaded the app will still have the app. Nobody else can discover it. So right. will the existing crew of Alex Jones InfoWars fans become the most intense, yeah. loyal following ever? Because it's like they've just like closed the door around them. Actually, I think this is what's going to bring Android back, dude. The, you really, oh, the this Google is, Play this Store. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Google I.O. next year featuring Alex Jones. That's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> how they come back. Uh, but he was particularly vicious to, to Oliver. Like he was, it was bad. <laughs> it was I felt bad. bad for Oliver. Did he look like he was getting? It was like it was like an adult getting bullied. Yeah, it was like it was rough. It's like where are the teachers at, dude? Recess has got to end at some <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> oh man, bullying isn't a joke. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Alex Jones. That's our that's our as um as album another friend of the cast would put it. That's our this week in Alex Jones. Yeah. Uh, section. Um, we'll see if there's another week of Alex Jones content because, like you said, he's basically nowhere on the internet now. Yeah. So I have a funny feeling he's going to appear again, though. Yeah, he's going to show up on Vimeo. Show up on Vimeo <laughs> or Joe Rogan's podcast yeah, again. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Speaking yeah, of Jerry, yeah, Elon. Yeah, that's, I think this is the final thing. So I was able. I think you you just watched a bit of it, but 
uh, the thing that, again, like towards, so it's hard to think that this was all in one week, but um, there there we go. Um, so Elon Musk, it's kind of like the tail end of the week, um, appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, and the immediate thing was like the memes that came out. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting two and a half hour-ish discussion that covered a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, like from AI to cars to space to like his general philosophy about the world. Um, and you know, it was, it was, it's, you know, I think that's the beauty of these long form interview formats that are gaining yeah. a lot of popularity is you can do that. You can actually see somebody unfiltered to a degree. Yeah. Um, but of course the thing that comes out of it on Twitter is like, Oh look, he, he smoked up a joint, which happens in like the last 10 minutes of the thing. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem look, like he even like, inhaled dude. Yeah, it actually didn't. I mean, I it, look, he gave like one puff and then that was it. And like, and of course, like the tweets I was seeing was like, it was like memes on top of that saying like how, pro, you know, look at, look at this irresponsible, you know, another irresponsible move by Elon Musk, yeah. uh, ranging to Joe Rogan's podcast has now become the place for problematic men. Um, <laughs> and it was like, I don't think you actually watched the podcast. Yeah. You might've, but, um, what came through to me out of that was like, Elon, the dude seems very emo- in a very emotional space right now, um, in a rough spot. I'm not saying it wasn't of his own doing to some degree. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, again, towards the end. I encourage everybody to, to, to watch it. I don't mean to sort of recap all of it because it is worth watching. Um, but he sort of – he just – I think he has this proclivity, this, 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 this almost like manic desire to keep working on really profound things for humanity. Um, and he seems some combination of exhausted. Um, maybe like he's, he's sort of burned out from – uh, people's perceptions of what he's doing versus the reality that he thinks he's doing. Yeah. Um, he was. He was. Sort of, he just seems a little bit scattered in that thing. He seems a little bit, a, a little, a little, a little not broken, but a little bruised for sure throughout that whole conversation, yeah. which uh, is it was emotionally tinged. I don't know if that came across in the part that you watched. Yeah, for me. So I watched up until uh, the end of his discussion around AI, and you know my takeaways were, you know, I've, I've seen Elon in other public contexts, and he never came across to me as as alien and detached as he did in this interview uh and maybe that points to some of the kind of the emotional upheaval that you sense by the end of the end of the discussion i guess my concern though was um uh, the, the 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 whole interview format was elon would make these kind of generalized platitude statements of you know ai's he would basically pause and make a statement that on the surface seems pretty alarming and this is not a discount because i know elon probably has you know quite a large justification of his views and can go in depth. But my issue with the interview, at least the part I saw, is that Joe Rogan wasn't actually engaging with his viewpoints. He was just kind of in awe of like what he was saying and like, oh, wow, like, what does that mean? Like, oh, you're scaring me. It's like, no, like, talk to him about what he's trying to convey here. Uh, When Elon would say, uh, uh, yeah, I try to tell him about AI. I try to tell him. I try to tell him. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. And he's like building this like fear mongering around AI, which might be true. And Joe's like, uh, oh my goodness, like I'm, I'm not fright, I'm scared for my own life and the future of my family, right? And it's like, I think they could have had a far more interesting dialogue if someone was actually willing to go into the details with Elon and really understand what's forming his opinion. Um, so that's why I kind of, I honestly just like turn it off, like after the AI discussion, like there's nothing here outside of like uh, some opinions that Elon holds around certain topics. And I'd rather just get into the nitty gritty details of what he thinks and why he thinks those things and the why behind the things didn't come out as much as I'd like. I don't know if that changes. I, um, I think it, I think it changes a bit. So okay. I'd encourage you to keep watching it. I think on the AI piece, you're right though that I think there was a little bit of fatalism there that wasn't 
um, counter, like that wasn't probed at enough. Yeah. I think it was a delicate dance by Rogan, to be honest. I thought he did a good job where it like, okay. uh, it, you know, you, A, you want to invite this guy back, right? It's like a guy you want to probably have a series of conversations with over time. Sure. Um, and so you want to sort of like, and again, given how his, his mood seemed, I think it was one of those things where he probably was reading it in person. Like, do I push him on this? Do I not? Right. Um, do I try to like change the topic? Do I not? I, I kind of like, I think Joe Rogan is a pretty, pretty phenomenal interviewer uh, when he's on his A game. Yeah. And I think this was an example of him. I think you could kind of tell them the mechanisms at work, I think a little bit. Like he was like, he was like probing for like, should I move on? Should I keep going here a little bit? Yeah. Um, because I think, like you said, Musk was sort of at this, det- in this detached state. It was weird. Um, like he was like staring so, into the abyss yeah. for some of it. He's like, he looked like, saw like a ghost or something. Like it was a very odd affect. Maybe that's what happened, dude. Maybe he saw a ghost right before <laughs> he came on the podcast. Who knows, dude? Doing some weird shit, dude. Well, I'll, I'll put this out there into the world. Elon, if you come onto the Unwise Index, uh, we have regular ghost inspections. There are no ghosts. No ghosts. Um, Kids see ghosts. We don't see ghosts. We don't see ghosts. Um, and we'll talk about all the cool stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, but but it's going to be a real uh, it's gonna be a real discussion. It's going to be like if we were at the New Yorker Festival. It's going to be a real discussion. <laughs> that would be pretty Sim- cool. Simulation theory, you're going to have to break it down for me. Did he talk about simulation theory? He does. They get to simulation oh, theory. Oh, nice. They, they get that. to multi and how it ties into multiverse theory. They get into it's social that. media. They get into a lot of stuff that's worth like Neuralink. Yeah. The funny thing is like <laughs> going back to Alex Jones, in some parts of that interview, I'm like, is Joe Rogan talking to Alex Jones again? <laughs> it's like some of the, 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 the logical deduction of Elon, he's like, we're currently cybernetic organisms with our interaction with social media and our phone. It's just the data output and input is not, the bandwidth issue is there, uh, but we are already cybernetic organisms. And how are we going to build this hive mind of cybernetic organisms where we're able to communicate? I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> like, what are we talking I've heard about here? this before. <laughs> yeah, it's like it came across as very out there. Um, uh, you know, either Elon and uh, Alex Jones are on are like more aligned than we think, or they're like on opposite sides of a spectrum that's like a circular spectrum. So they're like, they're meeting, like they're on such opposite sides of the spectrum that they're actually once again touching. Yeah. Um, either way, like, yeah, Alex Jones, to his credit, did put out this sort of, this this uh, cyber human fusion future. Yeah. He, you can go watch it. Uh, it's, it's not, that would be a wild three-way podcast. That would be weird. And the other thing, I, I don't know if I agree with this, but I had this small suspicion that, some of that affect and the way he interacts with those questions, he's really, you know, trying to forcefully build this narrative that he is a very eclectic, eccentric, innovator, entrepreneur, and thinker. Um, and so I, I don't know how much of it is, you know, his natural disposition versus some form of charade that he's cultivated over years and years and years, which builds a really strong response. Um, so I don't know. I'd have to see him and like I have to like watch uh, some longer form interviews with him and see if his his uh, the way he interacts changes. But he really like he he definitely presents himself in a in a kind of ethereal way of talking about things. I don't know if he sensed that at all, but um, I did, and I think yeah. I've seen other interviews, and I think that's always kind of, like he has this sort of kind of ethereal conversational style, this kind of like whispered way of talking. Yeah. But I think what was different this time was the. The, the sense of like again it looks it was kind of like a tortured look it was kind of like yeah. I'm staring into the abyss I'm a little bit like like he was always he's always like a little bit of a 
you know, kind of sputtering speaker to some degree. Like he, he has like really interesting, sophisticated thoughts, of course, but like, I wouldn't say he's the most fluid conversationalist. Sure. Um, you know, he has plenty of other things going for him. Um, but I think like in this time, he seemed like visibly distracted or visibly kind of preoccupied. Um, yeah. That I have not seen in other interviews that I've watched um, uh, to the same degree, at least. So um, again, come on the index, man. We'll, we'll talk it out. Yeah, dude. We'll... Well, you know, well, like, well, if, you're, if you have any, we can recommend some diets for you. See what they do for you. I'll cook you some chicken biryani, Elon. <laughs> Done. Deal. Oh, God. Cool, man. All right. Well, I think that gets us to the end of our list of topics for this episode. Um, but you know, lots of interesting things afoot in the intersection between politics, social media, technology, uh, artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and we'll keep our, our ears tuned to see what comes next for sure for sure keep your ears tuned because we'll be back soon that right good good job money bars (laughs) bars good job mr darcy